the Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the ninth Sunday after Pentecost for the week of July 30th, 2023. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to get in this week's podcast, and I'm excited that we will be getting into a topic this week that I think is super interesting, but I'm going to give you a heads up on the forefront. I would definitely say this is a little bit more PG-13 this week. I typically try keeping things pretty solemn, but we will be getting into a little bit deeper subject, a little bit talking about the female reproduction system. So if there are younger ears listening and you'd rather not talk to them or have them hear all that, I'm just giving that forefront up front because I do think it's important to at least with something with that, that be aware that that's coming. So I'm excited also because of what we will be getting into is such groundbreaking research, and I think it helps us with where we will be going with the gospel text and where the texts line up this week. I think there's some really interesting tie-ins that are there, and I don't want to overlook that, and I think there's some really interesting things. I'm guessing not many people have heard a lot of this stuff, and I think it really plays really well. So, Let's, before we jump into what this week will be, let's look back to last week, which the Twitter question we had for you was, where do you have those intimate conversations with God? And if you looked at our social media, which I have different things that I'll put up on both Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn at this point, there's a couple other things that are coming, trust me. But if you saw that, I put a picture of a great gray owl that I took with that. And for me, some of the best intimate conversations that I have with God is actually with people typically out in the woods, out doing birding. Sometimes I just need that space. I need that place to breathe. There's been times for me also just when I've done a lot of biking or different types of exercise can be that. I had different responses this week, even kind of going through just the basic morning prayer, spending time that way, having this breakfast and extended prayer time, or just making sure that they're spending some time to think and pray, especially when something's difficult. I know when I was in college, and it's something that I'll definitely encourage kids when I'm talking to them is, if you have that opportunity of walking between classes, it's a great opportunity to be doing prayer. I think it's one of these things that it's so easy for us to do that we ignore doing it, that we forget how easy it is. We overlook the power of what that is, that communication, that railway to be able to connect directly with the creator, I think is so important. And I think it's a simple thing, but again, it's finding those places to create that intimate time that I think is really sometimes in the world of the hustle and bustle that we're in so difficult to create and find that time, but yet it's essential for who we are. So let's just jump into it. As we have had for the last few weeks, we have some alternative first readings, but the first reading then that I'll have the first of the first reading is coming from Genesis chapter 29 verses 15 to 28. So this is a little bit of the story of Jacob and Laman. And Jacob has this agreement with Laman that he is going to marry one of his daughters and he is wanting to marry Rachel. And he said, yep, if you work for me for seven years, you will have Rachel. And he is head over heels for Rachel. And when he has accomplished this, he's done his time. The wedding is all over and he lifts the veil and finds that it's not Rachel, but her sister, 
her elder sister, Leah. He kind of confronts Layman about this. He's stating, again, I'm not going to give my younger child before I give my firstborn. If you complete this week and then do another seven years, I will give you Rachel. And so that's what Jacob does. And this sets the stage a lot for where the tribe of Israel will go for the longevity. But I think it's also worth mentioning at this point, too, is just remember also within Old Testament that especially marriages just in general was often more of a business transaction in a lot of ways. So this is a little bit different, especially coming at it from 21st century eyes. It seems a little weird, but the marriage culture was much different at that point. We have alternative psalms that go with this. So the first one to be able to choose from is Psalm 105, verses 1 through 11 and 45b. This psalm is a praise psalm, and we're going to have a lot of those this week. But it's the recognition of what God is doing for us. And thus, it is inspiring us to sing. It is inspiring us to rejoice. It is inspiring us to seek deeper relationships with God because we recognize all the wonderful things that God is doing. And in that recognition, it is allowing us to be able to remember and recognize the covenant that has been made with us and has been continued to be fulfilled for generation after generation. And again, as we have been walking this through, the recognition of Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and as it's continuing the line of Israel and the promise that the people are going to inherit the land of Cana, that we get then verse 45b, praise the Lord. The other alternative psalm is Psalm 128, all six verses of it. This is a recognition of, first and foremost, the healthy fear of God recognizing that God did all this labor, all this work, all this abundance, and blessed it that we may be able to share in that. So that's us turning our praise to God in recognition of what God has done and remaining humble to recognize that part of our job is to keep this relationship so that this relationship can be passed from generation to generation. The other alternative first reading this week is from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 to 12. This is, I think, a moment why I really like King Solomon, and I think this is part of why is this passage, personally. King Solomon is approached by God by night and is asking, what should I give you? And Solomon responds with this amazing response of recognizing that his father, King David, walked in faithfulness and righteousness and upheartness with a heart toward God, and that the steadfast love that he had for God to sit on the throne and recognizing what great things King David had done. And in doing all this and being asked to now govern all these people, what Solomon asked for is the discernment to know the difference between good and evil and to govern the people the right way, aka asking for wisdom. And the Lord is pleased by this response. And because he did not ask for riches or things over the enemy or the asking for discernment, that God then decides to bless Solomon with additional blessings on top of what he had initially asked for. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 119, verses 129 to 136. 
And this is then recognizing when we have this wisdom within us that it's coming from God and that we are to keep it and keep care of it. And that when God has embedded God's self within us, that we then are trying to live out the commandments. We are trying to live out these callings that God has for us to be able to live out the promise and live out the way that God has laid out the world. Also recognizing, again, this theme of how we are so dependent upon God and recognizing that it's God that is shining through us. It is not purely ourselves. The second reading, the epistle text is from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. This text is kind of picking up again, kind of where we've been, that the spirit then is within us and that even though that sometimes our flesh is weak, that it's the spirit within us that gives us the strength to be able to do the will of God. And with that, we are called into great things. And that's where the second half of this, verses 31 to 39 are so important. This recognition of if God is with us, who is against us, coming from the second half of 31, that this recognition of it is God that has overcome all of this stuff, that is in all this stuff, that it's God working. So that means that we need to continue to strive for that, but also recognize that God is still going to try to work in all these places where we see things being chaotic and things being crazy, and yet God's still going to create a way. The gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33 and 44 through 52. We get a crap ton of parables just thrown at us in rapid fire succession this week. So we start with the first three verses. We get the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in a field and that it's one of the smallest seeds, which again, I'll attach some links on that, and grows into one of the great shrubs that the birds of the air and stuff can make their nests and... The next parable, the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman has taken and mixed in with three measures of flour until it is leavened. Then skipping to verse 44, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy goes and sells all he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who searches for a fine pearl and finding one of great value. He went and sold all he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown into the sea and caught all the fish of every kind, and it was full and drawn ashore and sat down and it sorted into the good ones and threw the bad ones out. So this will be at the end of the age. So this get a little bit of what we coming from where we're at within the life cycle of Christianity, seeing kind of this dividing of the good and the bad, but also a lot of different texts here. And we're going to have to talk a little bit about some of the scientific nature of some of this, because I think that cracks something open a little bit more. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plugs. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainwaves podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help you give me some direction for the podcast week after week. So if you haven't checked out WorkingPreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. 
I'd also highly recommend checking out the revised common lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy using them on a week-to-week -week basis based on how they lay out the text week-to-week, -week, but I also really enjoy that they have the arts, hymns, prayers, liturgical colors. All of that is right there for you at your fingertips. And if you don't know entirely what that means, it gives you all the more reason to check that out. So if you haven't checked out the revised common lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that. Finally, I'd highly recommend checking out Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. Both of these are newsletters, reflections, talking about these texts similar to like what I'm doing, but again, looking at us from a scientific slant every week, looking at ecological echoes, implications, and urgencies to be able to bring into preaching, or how you can look at and think about these texts. So if you haven't checked that out, if you're not part of their mailing list, I would recommend checking out in the links below, signing up for that mailing list, and tell them that I sent you. That would be a fun little treat. Jesus rattles off a ton of parables, and we're no longer in the part of scripture where he's explaining them. But... I think coming from a biological standpoint, there are some definite things that coming from my eyes that I am noticing with these because we have a few biological explanations here that I think can easily be missed. First and foremost, we do have the mustard seed. It's not the smallest seed ever, but it is one of the smaller seeds and it does grow into this great shrub. Again, I will reference, check out one of my past podcasts talking about it. It will be in the show notes and I get into this a little bit more. But yes, it turns into a decent sized shrub. And yes, it's providing something then for the environment. Also, whenever you have a type of tree, they're putting down roots. They're helping stabilize soil. They're helping ecosystems. The kingdom of God is like yeast with three measures of flour. Yeast, when mixed with some type of sugar, some type of food source, will leaven. So you're taking a bacteria, which yeast is, and mixing it with flour, which, let's be honest, with the processes that they were doing, maybe they had some type of sugar or some type of food in it, and it feeds that yeast. You get carbon dioxide, which causes it to leaven, causes it to rise up, and thus makes it look like there's more there and actually fills you up in certain ways more. There's more there than there was before. The kingdom of God is like a field that someone hid something and comes back. Somebody found something super valuable, so he sells everything to chase after that. But I think the one, and I've talked about it last time, but I think it's worth reiterating, and we're going to go in a little bit different direction, is when we're talking about pearls. Because first and foremost, okay, yeah, we have this merchant, but pearls are hard to find. Good pearls. Ones of value are extremely hard to find, and I'll attach links to that down below. But why? Why is that happening? Pearls are made in all mollusks. We're known mostly for oysters, but clams can even do it as well. When a mollusk has not only just a grain of sand, but it can be a bacteria or some type of irritant happen. In the mantle of this mollusk, it starts producing what ends up being a calcium carbonate composite that circles this irritant. And it keeps layering it on layer after layer after layer. Calcium carbonate with protein, calcium carbonate with protein, calcium carbonate with protein. And thus, that is how we get a pearl. 
the longer that they have it, the bigger that it gets. And that's why it's so hard and it takes so much time to find a natural large pearl. It takes a lot of time, but yet it develops into something extremely valuable, at least to us as humans. It takes something that was an irritant and suddenly makes it into something beautiful and valuable to us as humans. There is another irritant that I would argue that half my listeners have. And this is where we're getting a little bit more into the PG-13 section of the podcast this week. We're going to talk about menstrual cycles this week, specifically the blood in and of itself, because there is some recent research that has come out. I'll attach links down below that could change women's perspective on the menstrual cycle in their lifetime because the pain and irritant that that is might have major, major, major health benefits that could benefit all of us. So let me get into it. First and foremost, we need to understand what stem cell research is. And I know this has been a highly debated, highly controversial subject over the last two decades. Stem cells come typically in this state from embryos, embryos being potentially future children, but also it's a cell that can become any different types of cells. And that's what makes stem cell research so awesome is that it's pluripotent, which means the cell, the stem cell can become any type of cell within the human body. It's super flexible. And this has been part of the regenerative medicine field, which then is using it to heal or replace tissues, damage from trauma, disease, abnormities, or even aging. So this idea that we're able to potentially put in cells that conform to things to be able to help rejuvenate and potentially bring back the genetic code in certain ways. Embryos for stem cell research have been kind of bottlenecked and have the most potential, but they've been bottlenecked because they basically come from people who've done invernal fertilization, so IEV, and it's the ones that haven't been used. And because of how we're gathering these, as we kind of stated earlier, it makes it a question of ethics on whether or not we should be using these. So this has made stem cells with how we've done it in the past highly debated and controversial. Thus enters mesenchymal stem cells, so MSCs, which come from adults instead of embryos. The disadvantage that has been found with many of these is that they're harder to come by. You can't get as many. So like some of the best ones have been coming from like bone marrow donations. So thus they're not quite as plural potent and they're not necessarily being able to be as flexible to be able to apply to all these different types of cells thus being a little less flexible in that way. When we've been dealing with MSCs, like we stated, bone marrow has been one of the more typically used donations, but in order to get MSCs, they've been coming from very invasive surgeries such as liposuction or blood filtering to be able to get these, and then they're not quite as good as what we've been getting from stem cells from embryos. Early research into menstrual fluid 
caused for some of this to be rethought about. And the reason that they started thinking about it was when you think about the uterus and how it's preparing every month, there would be potential for stem cells in there for potentially developing a child. So in order to do their stem cell test, there's two different things that they have to pass. One, can the cells clone? And two, can they differentiate into different types of cells? When they took the menstrual blood and was able to take that fluid, get those cells, and put it through, they found that one, not only can it clone, but it cloned faster than bone marrow. Bone marrow was taking upwards of like two days to clone. This was cloning every 19 hours, so thus doubling the speed. And second of all, they were able to find that it was all nine types of cells that it was wanting to differentiate, it was able to form. So all these MSC cells, it was outperforming all these other types. And in initial tests with rats in particular, they were able to see that injecting it into the brain to help with seizures, it was able to take care of that. And also within rats, potentially with Alzheimer's, not only was it helping to restore memory, but was also cleaning up and removing plaque from the neurons, which is the leading hypothesis on what is causing Alzheimer's at this point. We have also done some initial tests and it seems to be also helping not only with Alzheimer's, but diabetes, liver function, COVID-19 symptoms, inflammation from hernia mesh, diminished infertility, and accelerates wound healing. All of this is, again, early phases. There's still a lot of tests going on. I'll attach some, again, of, like always, a lot of my references down in the show notes. This one coming a lot from SciShow, which then they, in their show notes, has a lot of additional resources for this. But this is still very much early trials. They haven't necessarily set up how to have collections for being able to get menstrual blood to be able to do research on this. But what does this all mean? To me, when I started looking over the different texts this week and we look at the irritant that Jacob went through to not only work seven years to get Leah, but then working another seven years to get who he was hoping to get initially in Rachel and how both of them together helped stabilize Israel for the long haul. How in the Psalms, it's this recognition, a lot of times the prayer, but it's a prayer of praise, but it's the recognition also of what God has done. This recognition of all these amazing things that God has done and it continues to do. It means that they've gone through stuff to be able to reflect back to see that. King Solomon, recognizing all the amazing things that had gone through with his dad, even though his dad was not perfect as King David, but recognizing how I need the wisdom to be able to see through situations to really be able to be a good king. We get that in Psalm 119, also the the willingness to have the wisdom to be second to God is huge. Romans reiterating this. 
this idea of that it's God working within us. And when God is working within us, nothing can stop us. There's these things that, yes, that look like they're going to destroy. There's things that are hard and things that don't look good, but yet God still ends up turning it around to something better in the long run. But it means that we need to keep the dependence on God in order for that to happen, in order for us to see the long-term vision. It's not short-term turnarounds here. When we're looking then at what Jesus is reiterating in the parables, it's this idea of things that you are casting aside, things that you are overlooking, I am going to do great and marvelous things with. The things that are causing you agony are going to be valuable later. That, to me, is so powerful. As being a male, I don't understand what it's like that my body once a month goes through what I watch my wife go through. The pain that it literally has. The type of dying that it does within itself. But yet that we're finding that the stem cells from within that can be regenerative medicine to help with some of our aging problems, help with some of our different diseases that we're finding where the body malfunctions. To be able to have life come out of that heartache, that pain, is incredible. Now, granted, I get that this is early research, but I think it's something that we need to look at within our own lives. How often heartache and difficult times push us into something new and transformative. I know I don't have a ton of time here, and I'm just going to do one quick shout out because it hit me hard this last week. There was a student who I taught when I was a substitute teacher that I never worried about the kid. He was an incredible kid and incredible human being, both in the classroom and as an athlete, and was a D1 athlete playing football. And as of even a couple years ago, there was potential talks that this kid was going to the NFL. He decided for various reasons of being engaged, dealing with some different injury issues, that he was going to step away from the game. And he was super excited. And his mother had been in the high school office, and I had gotten to know her really well. Both her kids are engaged, was super excited. And this last week, he passed away at 23. And he was an incredible kid, and it was one of those that it hit hard because I was so excited about who he was going to be. I was really excited to see what happened to Cody. But we don't always get that. But the thing is, is that we're going through this heartache at this time. And having gone through heartaches in my life in the past is you never know what beauty comes out of it, even though it's hard to do. Deal with that in the moment. Those irritations, those things that hurt, those things that are painful, the things that make sometimes women once a month not want to do anything because their body is fighting them, can turn into something beautiful, can help us recognize how precious life is. Cody, it wasn't like it was anything wrong that he did. There wasn't anyone else to blame. His body just gave up on him, which is too bad. But I'm also, being a person of faith, I'm so curious on how the story will continue. How out of this pain, life still comes. Out of the pain of menstrual cramps and blood and pain and frustration, potentially comes something so much greater than we've ever experienced before. 
new life, restoration, a way that could potentially change medicine in a major, major way. Something that could be overlooked as just this a part of life, it sucks, could potentially in time here be life-saving serum. So the question I have for you this week is, what are other things we overlook, heartaches we overlook, that become beautiful things later? What are things that we overlook that become beautiful later? Because I think we, in our faith, have to look at things from a long-term perspective at times. We have to be able to recognize that things suck at times. But sometimes when we find something really precious, really valuable, we do the thing that seems irrational. We sell the farm to buy a field. We sell everything we have to chase this precious thing because we recognize that there's something greater on the other side. There's something super valuable, and I'd argue that's our faith. I'd argue it's the faith and the recognition of this relationship with God. And that, in and of itself, is just incredible. I think it's amazing that God is showing us a potential way that is an an ethical and easy way to get stem cells that really isn't controversial, that potentially could help so many people's lives. And that's really exciting to me. As hard as it is for me to say, I'm really excited to see what happens with the community that I grew up in and what happens and how it comes together after... Losing an amazing kid, Cody, that didn't do anything wrong. That no one did anything wrong. It's hard. It's difficult. It's those moments of all the dreams and aspirations that we have suddenly disappearing. But I don't want to overlook this pain. I don't want to underestimate the irritation I have about losing such an amazing young adult. At such a young age and the pain that... His family is going through, his fiance is going through, his sister is going through as she's engaged, his mom, his dad. But I can say from my life that those heartaches usually also produce some of the most amazing life-giving things in the end. And it helps us sometimes recognize the treasure that we had in front of us. I'm amazed that God is potentially having this life-giving fluid And even when we're having these heartaches, these irritations, that God continues to find ways to move us in a direction that we didn't expect before. And as hard as it is, we look forward to what the irritation and the beauty that will come out of it. Because that's part of the faith that we have. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.